Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for giving your, your son Jesus. Thank you for giving your Holy Spirit so that we would know who Jesus is, so that we might believe, so that we might understand, um, so that we might have new life. We're grateful for these great gifts you've given to us. Uh, we're grateful for the fact that we can have confidence in life and in death. Uh, thank you for giving us an interest in living our lives for the glory of Christ and not only living well now for his honor and glory, but finishing well also. Uh, what a great blessing it is to have this kind of confidence. Please help me tonight to be clear, to be articulate, to be um, pastoral. Help us to um, engage and listen. And Lord, give us ears to hear as we hear the gospel uh, and eyes to see as we see Jesus for who he really is. In his name we pray. Amen. Don't try to look up the passage. I just want you to hear these great words from Jesus and uh, allow them to encourage your heart and encourage your soul. So hear now this great promise from Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you also may be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 1 to 6. Therefore, ultimately, everyone who is united to Christ by faith, everyone who is united to Christ by faith, will most certainly, most definitely, most absolutely finish well. This is a short seminar. <laughs> We're done. If you trust in Christ, you're united to Christ. So His death is your death, okay? No more dying in an ultimate sense. His resurrection is your resurrection. So guaranteed new life and resurrected, never wearing out body. You will finish well, okay? But there are some practical things uh, in the between time, so to speak. Uh, that might help us in a practical way to finish well. As I mentioned this morning, at least in one of the services, so uh, once you've finished, um, there, there's still a little bit, little bit of cleanup you've left behind, okay? Um, there's still an impact from your life. Even though you've breathed your last breath and you're in the presence of Christ, uh, there's still this impact that you've left behind, and I think you can do certain things by God's grace to make it better to make it more encouraging to others, to make it more Christ-honoring, um, to make it more uh, about Christ and His glory than, than it would otherwise. Um, and so that's really what we're talking about tonight. That's why I'm so glad that, that so many of you are here to talk about this and to think about this. And the reason we know that this is the case, that we, we will finish well, is because Jesus leads the way in resurrection. How about hearing this? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, this is God the Father, to be conformed to the image of His Son. So predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, 
in order that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. How about that? We know that we're going to finish well because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn among many brothers. Okay? Brethren, cistern. See, it doesn't sound good. That's why we just leave it as brothers and we get the idea. But He's the great elder brother of the faith because if we trust in Him, He leads the way. He's first, but as sure as He's been raised from the dead, as I love to tell my suffering friends, as sure as He's been raised from the dead, as sure as you will be raised from the dead. He's the firstborn among many. Again, that's why you can know that you're going to finish well if you're a Christian in the ultimate sense. How about Revelation 1.5? Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Here it is again. The firstborn of the dead. I love that. I love it that it doesn't just say born from the dead, raised from the dead, even though the Bible talks that way sometimes, even though that's really important. I love it that it doesn't only ever say that because then it wouldn't benefit us. Firstborn. Preeminent, yes, but also because he's leading this great, this great procession of resurrected people, and that would be people who believe in him. The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on the earth to him who loves us, most amazingly, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So again, resurrection because we're freed from sin because of atonement. It's just fantastic it's just fantastic as you know me sometimes i like to be a a a literalist and say i would say incredible but that's not the right word this is credible (laughs) okay we're not saying this is incredible no this is credible how how is it credible bodily historically raised from the dead this is credible it's awesome We will finish well. Praise be to God. If you get nothing else out of tonight, know that those who trust in Christ will finish well. You could leave everything else in a shambles. Okay? (laughs) On a practical level, you could finish poorly. Uh, And in one sense, that's one of the reasons I want to talk about this. Even at your funeral, I want it to be clear, my funeral at least, that in so many ways, Pat Abendroth was a shambles. But Pat Abendroth finished well in the ultimate sense because he was trusting in the one who is the firstborn from the dead. He's not trusting in himself. How many funerals make it sound like the person's trusting in themselves and everybody sitting there who really knows them knows that that's not enough? How bizarre. How bizarre. What a great opportunity we have. I'm thrilled to think about these things that even don't really thrill us. So in light of this great certainty... Some practical details is what we'll talk about tonight. So, session number one, certainties you need to know in order to finish well. Certainties you need to know in order to finish well. We'll keep it real simple, but this is the theological side, the practical theological side. Certainties you need to know in order to finish well. And then when we're done with this portion, we'll do another briefer portion. Actions you need to take in order to finish well. So certainties and actions. If you're a note taker, great. If you're not a note taker, don't worry about it. Uh, Just soak it all in. Let's talk about certainties you need to know in order to finish well. The first certainty you need to know is the certainty of death. The certainty of death. If you're going to finish well, let's reverse engineer everything and know that death is certain. 
Okay, we have to start there. Benjamin Franklin didn't know everything, but he was a pretty smart guy. And he was pretty smart, I'll emphasize pretty smart, when he said, in this world nothing can be said to be certain except, you know how it goes, death and taxes. He wasn't the first person to say that, but that's the actual quote from him. Death and taxes are certain. He's pretty smart because actually there's only one thing that's certain because there's such a thing as tax evasion. Okay, so there's one thing that is certain. It is death. Everybody is going to die. It's a certainty. According to uh, the World Wide Web, 150,000 people die every day. As of 428 Central Time today, today, 107,888 people had died. It was the weirdest website because the number just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger as I'm looking at the website. And so no doubt the number is a lot bigger than it was at 428 p.m. when I looked it up today. It's pretty sobering. It's just growing right before your very eyes. People dying like crazy all over the place. We have to know if we're going to finish well that death is certain. And it's an awful certainty. The reason it's certain is traced back to the very beginning, back to Genesis chapter 3, back to uh, commenting on Genesis 3, we'd have Romans chapter 5. The human race is represented. God in his wisdom chose to represent the human race. Are we going to turn those on or not? Okay, good. Otherwise, we were going to have some people perhaps have cardiac arrest tonight. So um, when these things fill, we get scared. Um, So, good. It might get hot, but oh well. God chose, and when you're God someday, no, this isn't a Mormon church. Um, If you were God, you could do it a different way. God in His infinite wisdom chose to deal with the human race through representation. And so He represented the human race through Adam. Okay? And Adam led the human race into sin. So, ever since that time, We've all been united to Adam. We've all been um, part of that awful offspring, if you will, because uh, there's been death ever since, ever since Adam. Now, we're going to get to the last Adam in a little while, which is exciting and, and, and positive. But since Genesis 3, there's been spiritual death. It came immediately, spiritual death did. And then shortly thereafter, physical death came. And we're still waiting for the second death to come. And the second death in Revelation chapter 20 is for those who are not in Christ. It's an ultimate hell, if you will. And it's been going on for a long time as far as death is concerned. And it's certainty. But it's traced back to the very beginning. We might know in reference to passage like Romans chapter 6 that says in verse 23, the wages of sin is death. We're, de- we're, we're sinners by nature. We're also showing ourselves to be sinners by action. And so God in His justice has the world dying spiritually, physically, and and eternally, eventually. So we have to know that. We have to know that for starters or we won't know what the solution is. Fitness is great. I got a workout in today. I couldn't believe I did. Nutrition is great. I ate pretty good today. Awesome. But they're not going to solve my death problem. Okay? They just aren't going to solve my death problem. Cults like Christian science can deny that death is real. But Mary Baker Eddy today is dead. 
Charismatic leaders can say that if you have enough faith, you won't get sick and you won't die. And every single charismatic leader who's ever walked the face of the earth, who's had enough birthdays, is dead. They're dead. It's an undeniable reality. It's a lie to say otherwise. History proves it, and our broken lives prove it as well. Number two, two, the certainty of judgment. The certainty of judgment. So the certainty of death, but if we're going to plan ahead for this the right way, we're going to know that there's a certainty of judgment. Death itself is a form of judgment. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit later, but since the beginning, God says if you do this, there's going to be death. And that's an act of death is an act of the judgment from God. Uh, Psalm 711. Easy one to remember. Psalm 711 has God as a righteous judge. Okay? He's a fair judge is what righteous means. He only gives people what they deserve. And here the judge of all the universe is a just judge. He's a righteous judge. And, and since everyone has sinned, he owes everyone fairly, justly condemnation. His law from the very beginning has said, if you sin, you will die. Well, God brings his just punishment in death, so it's a certainty of judgment. Let me just make a footnote there, too, to remember death is not progress. Death is not progress, okay? There are very few true die-in-the-world Darwinian people, okay, in, in an ultimate sense. Darwin wasn't stupid. He, he, he said them some things were true. Everybody says some things that are true. He didn't say anything true when he said this is progress. Okay? I've jokingly said before, just try if you're a pastor saying that at somebody's mom's funeral. We'll find out who's truly a consistent Darwinian evolutionist. It's not progress. It's awful. It's bad. There's a reason why we're crying. It's a reason why we're grieving. And it's not because we're onward and upward. It's an awful thing. Death is an awful thing. So it's, it's, a, it's a judgment. It's a form of judgment. And there's also more judgment to come. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, It's appointed for a person to die once. So that's a form of judgment based upon Genesis 3. To die once. And after that kind of judgment comes judgment, it says. And so there's, there's something greater than just physical death itself. Judgment comes. It's a certainty that judgment is going to come. Hebrews 9.27. And how about this? In and of itself, if we could just take ourselves out of the equation, it's a good thing. Ju- justice is a good thing. In other conversations, most people in this room would say justice is a good thing. The time we won't say it is when we're the guilty people. Then we don't like fair. We don't like justice. We don't like righteousness. Uh, no one in the human race should like this, really, because we're all guilty. So we can understand, but, but let's realize, in and of itself, for God to judge is for God to be godlike. Okay? Uh, it's for God to be fair. Uh, again, these words are interchangeable. Justice, righteousness, fairness. This is, this is God doing what's right from righteous. It's the right thing for God to uphold His law. The angels know it. That's why they say, holy, holy, holy. Because he does what's right. If we're going to prepare for eternity, we need to know that judgment is, is certain. Uh, and judgment is coming. And the granddaddy of all judgments would be what I referenced earlier. And that's Revelation chapter 20. And Revelation 20 is so interesting and so disturbingly interesting. Because it says that sinners are judged there. Unbelievers are judged there. 
read, maybe make sure I get the wording right. Because of what they had done, ESV says. Some translations say not because of what they've done. It says according to their deeds. That's how just God is. I'm going to give everyone exactly what they deserve. No one will be able to say justly to God that you're not just. I give you what you deserve. Okay, everyone here who has loved me with heart, soul, mind, and strength and loved their neighbor as themselves will escape condemnation. Because that's what God's law says. And nobody escapes condemnation in Revelation chapter 20 because God gives everybody what they deserve there. It's awful. It's an awful certainty judgment is. But there's nothing illogical about it. There's nothing unfair about it. And by the way, Revelation 20 is in the New Testament. I say with a little bit of a smirk. This is Old Testament truth, New Testament truth, truth from the prophets, truth from Jesus. You can't prepare well for eternity and finish well if you don't know death is certain, judgment is certain. It's impossible. It just can't be. Now we get to the good part, right? How in the world can you understand the good news if you don't know the bad news? You can't, okay? So number three, certainty, uh, the certainty of new life in Christ. The certainty of new life in Christ. Here's my question to you. How in the world can we say new life in Christ is certain? How can we say that? I've already alluded to it at least a couple times tonight in different passages. But, but how can we as Christians say we believe in the certainty of new life in Christ? Well, I, ho- I hope you're on the right track in your thinking about that. Let's at least start with we can know for certain that there is no, no judgment for us. There's new life for us in Christ because Romans chapter 8, said, chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Haha, <laughs> love that wording. How could there be no condemnation, it says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are united to Him? If you're united to Him, no condemnation. How can there be no condemnation? Just have faith in faith, there will be no condemnation? No, no. It's, it's, it's logical, it's clear. There's no condemnation in Romans 8 because of all of the argumentation that's gone on before, all the building blocks before, because Christ was voluntarily condemned. He, he, he bore the, 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 the full undiluted justice of God and, and experienced the judgment from God as if he were a sinner because he's standing in place of sinners. Sinner is a lawbreaker, by the way. And so he stands in our place and pays the penalty that we deserve. And not only that, he does all the right things in keeping God's law. And so if you trust in him, God sees you as a law keeper and God sees you not as a lawbreaker. Hallelujah. You know, certainty. Our certainty is not in ourselves and being a good person because then we don't understand the certainty of death, certainty of condemnation, and we certainly don't. Certainty is actually found outside of us. It's found in someone else. It's found in Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why Romans has been saying, trust, 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 believe, 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 faith, 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 not in yourself, in Jesus. Man, I think I'm going to become a preacher someday, okay? This might not be the best seminar, but it's a great sermon anyway. Because <laughs> this, is, this is what the gospel is about. Hope not in us, hope in Christ. Certainty in Christ. Now, how do we know for certain 
that God the Father was satisfied with the Son's sacrifice and life. It's resurrection. He raised Him from the dead. That's how we know that, that it, it, it for sure, this sounds too trivial, that it worked. Victory. Raised from the dead. Not just a guy who talked a big talk. Turn with me if you would. If you have a Bible, if you don't, that's fine. But if you do, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we see how great it is. He's raised, not in your heart, not in your imagination. He's raised from the dead, and it's, it's specifically talking about he's raised from the dead bodily, physically. And that's really good news for everyone in this room who has a body. Okay? <laughs> if you're just a spiritual person and you don't have a body, then this probably isn't that relevant. But we have bodies. God made us as spiritual, physical beings, and Jesus has been raised from the dead bodily. That's how we know this is a certainty for us who are believing in Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 15. I want to ask you how many of your bodies hurt right now, but too many of us would put our hands in the air, right? This is, this is great. Verse 20 says, But in fact, this is not in, but in, but in faith. As our culture uses faith is when reality doesn't exist. You just have faith in faith. Um, the Bible talks about faith in the context of trust in real things okay he's talking about the 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 historic work of jesus so that's why he can say but in fact christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits oh again i love that because that 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 includes believers the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by a man came death remember that that in adam thing by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead For as in Adam, that's that first Adam of Genesis 3, all die, so also in Christ. And the way you become in Christ is by faith, he argues. In Christ shall all be made alive. And he's talking about resurrection. Death, physical death for you doesn't bring condemnation because of the work of Christ. As a matter of fact, it's a matter of time before it means resurrection because you're in Christ. And this new life is a life of immortality. It's not going to be reversed. Let's go ahead. While we're there, let's look at the immortality side of things. How about verse 50? It says in verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. Here's here's the best word of all we're seeing. Imperishable. And we shall be changed, for this, imper- for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And then he talks about death not having that final, ultimate kind of sting. And it's all because of victory, as it says in verse 57, look there, victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's exciting stuff. Certainty of death, certainty of judgment, certainty of new life in Christ, and we know because he's been raised from the dead. I've been making a big assumption here, and maybe this is a good time to, to at least hit time out on preaching. Um, let me ask you this. How many of your friends do you think, um, if you said, can you tell me what happens when a person dies? How many, how many of your friends do you think could give you a pretty good biblical answer? If you said, what happens when an unbeliever dies? And how is that different from how a be- what happens when a believer dies? 
unbeliever, believer. How many, how, how many people do you think could give a good answer? I don't always do this, but one thing I, I want to do and I try to do uh, and do on occasion is if I get to speak at a funeral, it's one of the things I, I try to talk about uh, in a hopefully thoughtful way. But how many people do I know? How many people in our, in our world, the world we live in, in our spheres, don't even really know? They don't really know. At least let's help inform people. And maybe you don't know. Um, and, and I wouldn't want you to feel bad about that. I wouldn't want to help you. Just a thumbnail sketch. Maybe this is a good time to come up for air and, and realize. Thumbnail sketch. Just big picture. Here's what happens when an unbeliever dies. When an unbeliever dies, they breathe their last breath. The Bible would have us to know that they are instantly experiencing some kind of judgment from God. Some kind of suffering. Instantly. We would, we would base this upon passages like Luke chapter 16. There's, there's, there's agony involved. This is pre-great white throne judgment, I think, based upon chronology of things. The, the, but there is, there is suffering. The Bible even talks about the great white throne, that, that death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. There, there, there's, there's a step one and step two hell, if you will, it seems. And they're awaiting a final judgment when all unbelievers will be judged and they'll be judged fairly. They'll be judged based upon what they've done. Revelation chapter 20. It's not a very good picture, but that's what happens. Jesus talks a lot about this sort of thing. What happens when a believer dies? When a believer dies, you breathe your last breath. You are in the presence of the Lord. When you die. How do we know this? We know this because of passages like Jesus on the cross saying to one of the thieves. Remember they were both mocking him. He says to the one, the believing one. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Or how about the Apostle Paul? When he says to be absent from the body in 2 Corinthians is to be present with the Lord. That's it meant to encourage and give hope. Or how about when he says in Philippians, to live as Christ. So if I keep living, if Rome doesn't chop my head off, if I keep living, I'm going to live for Christ. To live as Christ. But to die is gain. To die is even better. Now, that's not as explicit as the other texts. But it's not to, to die is to do soul sleep. Okay? Um, to die is to go and pay for my sins for a while till eventually I get out if people light enough candles. I mean, to live as Christ, this is good, but to die is even better. That complements absent from the body, present with the Lord. That complements the Lord Jesus' promise to that thief who didn't have time to do anything good other than to tell the other guy to shut up. Which, by the way, he did. Fruit even on the cross <laughs> of a thief. But he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is why we Christians, this is why we Protestants, believe that when you die, you're with God. When you die, you're with God. Enjoying God. It seems then from there, you are waiting for something. If I read 1 Thessalonians 4 right... Debatable. <laughs> if, I, if I read First Thessalonians 4 right, I think I do in this case, in this scenario. We are waiting our, for our glorified bodies. Okay? Because everyone seems to get their glorified body at the same time. 
And so there's going to be something great and glorious about when all believers get a new body and it's going to happen at the same time. And so there, there's, there's my thumbnail sketch. You die, you're with Christ, enjoying Christ, and you're waiting for a resurrected body that will never wear out. You're not complaining, no doubt. Um, but you're waiting for that. New heavens, new earth, we can talk about all that. We won't. So I take it that my mom, Carla, who uh, breathed her last breath as a believer in Christ, um, is, was, is, was instantly in the presence of the Lord because it wasn't based upon her merits to begin with. It was based upon the one uh, in whom she has no condemnation in union with. And she's with him as he promised, and she's waiting for her glorified body, and we'll get him at the same time and do high fives. Okay, <laughs> uh, no more cancer, uh, no more chemo thrashed, radiation thrashed body, um, full head of hair. Well, she, she made up for that in earlier life. Anyway, um, so that's the practical side of things, the practical side of things. It's pretty straightforward, um, and it's really not that debated um, amongst Protestants. It's, it's, it's pretty straightforward, and this is why... Um, I think it's important that we, we stop at this point in time and say, how does all this theology, I've kind of just given you a bunch of theology, truths about God and how he works in this world. How should this affect us now? Well, let, let's start with the obvious. It should affect us and compel us to trust in Christ. It should compel us to trust in Christ. No condemnation. You don't want justice earned by you, if you will. You want Christ to have satisfied the justice of God. It should compel you to believe. On another practical level, if we want to move beyond that, it should compel us to want to live wisely and not in denial. I want to encourage you as your pastor or as your friend or as your friend's pastor, don't live in denial. Live with eyes wide open. Go to that website if you need to to watch those numbers. Click, 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 click. Don't live in denial. It's just a matter of time. And then be like the psalmist in Psalm 90 where the psalmist, in light of God's eternality and His greatness and God lasts forever, no beginning, no end, he sees himself as a mortal and he says in Psalm 90, teach us Teach me to number my days. I want to encourage you to number your days. I've got to think about life. I want to live for the glory of Christ now. I want to make the most of my life now. I was talking about my mom. I'll bring her up again. I can remember talking about, with her about that. How, how can you make the biggest splash for the glory of God in the lifetime that God has given you? That's what we want to do. Knowing that the end is coming. Knowing that it's inevitable. Don't live in denial. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach, so teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Understanding God's world and how we relate to God, a heart of wisdom. We could say lots about that. I'm not going to say any more about that for now. How about um, another practical response would be um, Live, live with some, some confidence. Live with some boldness that will give you joy, that will give you um, some good, good sanctified zest. <laughs> um, 
live big for the, for the glory of God and the glory of Christ because you know, you know it's just a matter of time. Um, you, you know the clock is ticking. And so why would you want to be passive about this whole thing? And why would you not want to take advantage of every opportunity you have for the, for the glory of Christ? You, you, you would no doubt want to, I would think. Live valiantly, live joyously, live boldly. Psalm 139 really helps me here. Psalm 139, verse 16. The psalmist, it's so personal, and it's this view of this big view of God, and who God is and His sovereignty. Psalm 139, verse 16, the psalmist says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. I wrote in my notes, BAM! <laughs> it's extraordinary. It's awesome. It's amazing. Days numbered before time begins for a person's life. I don't know how many days there are. I'm going to go for it. And it's especially a, a, a beautiful and amazing thing in that passage because it's not just theology talk. It's theology talk, robust theology, and it's in the context of a God who really, really personally cares. It's where theology matters. The God who cares about me is in charge and He's in control. My days are numbered. My days are limited. My days are numbered even by Him. I want to go for it. I want to go for it. That's motivating. I want to number my days. I want to know that God has my days numbered better than I have my days numbered. And I want to think in terms of how I can do that practically. So if I want to re reverse engineer my life, even though I might breathe my last breath today, it doesn't look like it, but I might. But, but the best I can tell wisely, if I want to see, okay, if I live this long, what, what, what do I want to do? And if I'm going to be living this long, what do I want to do? And, and, and if it's short or long, doesn't matter. How can I live boldly for the glory of Christ? What's that look like, numbering my days, trusting God and finishing, finishing as well as I can, knowing that I'll finish greatly in Christ?